Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message. He is more than you could ever need. He's more than the eye could see. I don't deserve his love, but he's always been there for me. You see, Jesus met me when I was at my lowest. And if you don't know Jesus, know this. He is the greatest example of generosity this world of greed has ever seen. And when Jesus hit the scene, he changed the scenery and met diversity with serenity. If you're looking for peace, he offers plenty. Jesus was and Jesus will forever be king. And when the angels sing, they sing of the grace that was displayed for sinners like me. I can't explain him and I can't describe him. And if I could, he wouldn't be Jesus because you can't explain eternity and you can't comprehend the galaxies. But it was the loving hands of Jesus who spun them into existence and created man knowing he would go to the cross to pay our sentence. There was a certificate of judgment with a period after the sentence and we were sentenced to death long before he said it is finished. He is a father to the orphan, a shelter for the homeless, a hiding place for the abused and an anchor for our storms. He stormed the gates of hell and came out on top and the power of his gospel cannot be stopped. Even when the world tries, they try a lot. He traded places with Barabbas and became the catalyst of missions across the world covering every portion of the atlas. If you're in need of rest, I know of a mattress. If you don't know Jesus, your future is tragic, but he gladly embraced tragedy so we could live in his presence of majesty. His presence is presence, and it's his presence that presents preciousness to a world of peasants. He is far from pretentious, but still loves those who are. He is the light of the world and hung the stars. He brings the dead to life and delivers life to the dead. He took a crown of thorns on his head so we could put crowns at his feet, and I I can't wait until I get to kiss his feet that were nailed to a cross for me and for you and for every person around the world. He loves the world and I love his word because the word became flesh and in his flesh he demonstrated the word to the world. He is an example to every boy and every girl. He is a lover of black people. He is a lover of white people. He is a lover of the unchurched and the assembly under the steeple. He doesn't see the believers failures but still takes time to celebrate their faithfulness. It's the power of the spirit that enables us and gives us boldness when the world labels us and if you want to label me please call me a Jesus freak if that freaks you out good because it's better to be good with God than to fight being misunderstood by a world that could never understand so let it be understood that I don't worship man we worship Jesus and although he doesn't need us he still sees us and pleads with us to run to the cross where he bled for us his heart bleeds for us his heart grieves for us but still graciously grants us a pardon for our treason in a season where the world tries to explain away the work of the spirit with human reasoning there is a reason they can't because the spirit is like the wind and the wind cannot be seen but loved is the one who believes without seeing the unseen I'm telling you today that Jesus is something he's something more He's something great, and if you want to know him, you don't have to wait. He stands at the narrow path with a key to the gate, and you only have to reach out and embrace his grace. I don't care who's president. I have a king who is always present. I don't care who holds musical celebrity. The voice of the Lord will always be the sweetest melody. I don't care who owns the riches of the globe. My Jesus holds more wealth than one ruby on his robe. I don't care who is the strongest or the fastest. Nothing matches the creator of the universe and his immortal, infinite status. I don't care about religious leaders who died and stayed dead. I'll only worship the one who conquered death and wears a crown on his head. His name is Jesus, and I'm telling you, he's something. He was faithful yesterday, and he is faithful today. I can feel his presence whenever I pray. And when the time comes for me to fade away, I'll remember the day I heard him say, My name is Jesus.
The character qualities of our Savior Jesus, oh, so many of them captured within the video that we just have seen. Um, I'm starting a series for the next four weeks leading up to Easter, which is called Jesus Is. And we're going to look at four attributes of Jesus, four primary attributes of Jesus um, that, I'll be honest, some of them are a bit controversial. Some of them don't fit into what some people wish to believe about our Lord and Savior, but I am going to present what these attributes are. We're going to look at what the Scripture says, and we're going to challenge maybe you here or someone at home to take a look once again at what we believe about Jesus because there's evidence for these things. We're going to look at four things, as I said, today. Jesus is God. Next week, Jesus is the only way, the only way to God. The third week, Jesus is our sacrifice. And week four, Jesus is victorious. As I said, not everyone believes these things. I'm just going to be honest. Even within Christendom, there are some that don't even believe these things. They'll believe that Jesus was a, a, a great man, a wise teacher, but he, he's certainly not God, and they have a real difficulty that he's the only way to salvation, uh, even that he physically rose from the dead. Many, many years ago, back in my former community where I um, uh, was pastoring, it was getting near the Easter season, and many of the local ministers, about a half a dozen of us, would regularly get together at a local coffee shop on Wednesdays, and we'd have coffee together. So it's getting near the Easter season, and, and one of the pastors of the mainline church was talking. We were kind of sharing how we're approaching Easter this year, and he just casually said, well, you know, um, I don't believe that Jesus rose. And we looked at him and thought, what is he? No. I really don't believe he rose from the dead. There was some type of maybe a spiritual resurrection, but I don't believe that he rose from the dead. And, and, and I thought, oh my goodness. And you're a pastor. In fact, I, I shared this story recently with, with uh, one, of the, one of the staff here, one of the leaders here, and they said, how can this person even be a, a pastor? They don't even believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I said, listen, they believe uh, that they were helping people, but they no longer believed the, some of the cardinal truths, and obviously, this pastor would not have believed that Jesus was God. So we're going to go back and we're going to study these four cardinal truths today. It's going to be a lot of scripture this morning, and so uh, follow along. It'll be on the screen, uh, but if you can look in your own Bible and see these verses in the scripture. Bow your heads for a second. I just want to pray. Father, I've been wrestling with this for a number of weeks. And I believe that it's important that we understand who Jesus is so we may understand what he accomplished for us by being born, living, dying, and rising from the dead. Open our minds and open our hearts. And if there's one who maybe have grown up in uh, uh, some aspect of, of Christendom that has denied some of these truths, may they begin to investigate them again. If there's someone who is watching today or who is here today that has not even considered these attributes of Jesus, may their heart be open. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to grab your Bible and go to John's Gospel. In the New Testament, there are four uh, Gospels. Gospel means good news. 
These are um, compilations of the life of Jesus. The one we're going to be looking at is John's Gospel. It is different from the first three. It was written last. And John had a very specific purpose in writing this Gospel that we would truly believe who Jesus was and what he did. So we're going to start in John chapter 1, verse 1. And um, I'll intersperse a little bit as, as I read. But if you're there, follow along. I'm reading New Living Translation this morning. In the beginning... The word already existed. That word word is logos. It's only used uh, infrequently throughout the New Testament. Oftentimes the word rhema is used. But in the beginning, the word already existed. And if your Bible is like mine, the W on uh, word is capitalized. There's a reason for that. We'll see it in a moment. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. That's why it's capitalized. He existed in the beginning with God. Now we have a couple of things here. He existed in the beginning with God. So that means he is separate from God, yet he is God. The beginnings of understanding what this thing is that church history is called the Trinity. Let me read again and then continue. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that He created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I want to stop here for a moment. Did you hear what it says? The word became human. Remember, the Word was with God and the Word was God. God became human and He made His home among us. That person was Jesus. And John specifically says it in the next two verses. Not John the Baptist, but John the writer of the Gospel. John the Baptist testified about Him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. When you're reading this, it almost seems contradictory and confusing, but yet when you read what it says, God in heaven 
was in heaven with the word who was God. That word is Jesus. Jesus Christ is fully God and he was fully man when he lived on the earth. This is a cardinal doctrine of our faith, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, God the Son, but he is God. In all of his fullness, he is God. You may say, well, is that important? It is important, and we'll talk about that later. So three reasons, three reasons that Jesus is God. Number one, and there is a note sheet. Hopefully you picked one up so that you can uh, look at it, maybe write some things in there. There are scriptures in each of these points in your note sheet. I will read some of them, but possibly not all. Three reasons Jesus is God. Number one, Jesus claimed to be God. Now, there are some that say, oh, no, Jesus never claimed to be God. In all of the Gospels, you never say, yes, I am God. Yes, he did claim to be God. But culturally, because we are not in that culture, we don't recognize sometimes what he said. So I'm going to take you to some passages where Jesus declared his deity. The first is in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, we have a story of a healing here. But what happens at the, well, at the point of the healing and afterwards is really important, but we're going to read the entire story. So would you follow along, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring, to Je- couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They got it. They got what he was saying. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you. Now, here's the the statement. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, do you hear what Jesus is claiming for himself? The authority to forgive sins. What did the Pharisees say? Uh, The religious leaders that were there. Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to prove to you that I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. In that incident, with just a few phrases, Jesus claimed something that only belonged to God, the authority to forgive sin. What is Jesus saying? I have the authority to forgive sin because standing amongst you is God in human flesh. I'm sure they had a difficult time comprehending it. They probably didn't believe it, but Jesus went on in other places, not only claimed it, but because of what he did, demonstrated it. In John's Gospel, the 10th chapter, in verses 30 through 33, Jesus is in a dialogue with with many individuals, uh, leaders, and he's teaching, and he makes a statement in verse 30, and he says, the Father and I are one. 
The Father and I are one, meaning God the Father. He and I are one. And once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. And Jesus said, at at my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you stoning me? And they replied, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy, you a mere man claim to be God. But that statement, the Father and I are one, they understood what he was saying, and they were ready to stone him. In fact, that's not the first time, or the only time, I should say, and it wasn't the first time that uh, Jesus was on the verge of being stoned for making these claims. Earlier in John's Gospel, in chapter 8, verses 57 through 59, we have this encounter. Jesus was again teaching, and he made a statement about before Abraham was, I was. And the people saying, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, even born, I am. Now, the I am is very important because what he is doing is he's referencing Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When Moses asked God, the Father, what is, his, what is your name, God replied, I am who I am. That's what God said his name was. That was the name the Father gave to himself. And what Jesus was saying here is, I take the same name. I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Now, how do we know that that's what he was doing? Look what it says. At that point... They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden, and he left the temple. Why were they picking up stones again? Jesus claimed to be God in human flesh, and that's blasphemy, and the Old Testament law said, you are to be stoned for blasphemy. Now, Jesus should have been stoned for blasphemy, except what he said was true. There was no reason to stone. He was God in flesh. He wasn't just a good man or a great teacher. God in human flesh. Three reasons that Jesus is God. The first is that Jesus claimed to be God. The second is this. Jesus' followers claimed that he was God. An interesting passage takes place just after the resurrection from the dead. Jesus has risen from the tomb and he's appeared to uh, disciples his followers, and he appeared to them and they saw him, but one of the disciples, one of the followers wasn't there, one of the apostles, his name was Thomas. Thomas wasn't there, and so when they saw Thomas uh, a few hours or a few days later, they started to say, we've seen Jesus, we've seen the master, and Thomas said, listen, I won't believe that unless I can take my finger and put it in the nail prints in his hand or take my hand and put it in the wound in his side, then I'll believe. Well, later on, Jesus appears again. Thomas is there. And in um, John's Gospel, chapter 20, hear what it says. Jesus then said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Now, How did Thomas respond? My Lord and my what? What did he say? What does it say? My Lord and my God. Right at that point, not only did Thomas recognize him as his personal Lord, Thomas 
spoke, confessed that he was God. In the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes this in chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. For in Christ, in the Messiah, in Jesus, lives all the fullness. Look what it says. Lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Now, I'm not going to try and explain how that happens. I have no idea how it happens. How does the fullness of the Godhead live in a human body? But then again, how's God living inside of you? By the Holy Spirit when you invited him in. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Earlier I said that Jesus was fully God and fully man. This verse here in Colossians is another verse that says it. John's Gospel, chapter 1, talks about the Word becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us, that Word who was God. Peter says this, just another place in the Scripture. These aren't all of them, but here's another one. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, the Apostle Peter writes this in the letter that he sent. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. The New Testament followers of Jesus, the writers of many of the letters in the Scripture, claimed that Jesus was God. Jesus claimed that for himself. Jesus' followers claimed that he was God. And number three this morning, Jesus received worship reserved for God alone. Many will say that Jesus was a good man, a great teacher, a revolutionary, a sage, many things. But if Jesus truly was a great teacher, Jesus would not have done something that Jesus did if he wasn't God, because then he would be lying to his followers if he was only a great teacher. But Jesus did something that no man should do, some do, angels won't do. He received worship. When the same John that wrote the Gospel of John wrote the book of Revelation, which was a vision that he had received. At one point in the vision, John is so overwhelmed by the angel that is there with him, helping him to see the various things, taking him various places. He is so overwhelmed with the angel that John falls down at the feet of the angel and he's worshiping him. And John's saying this, I was so overwhelmed, I'm trying to worship this angel. Listen to what the angel said. The angel says to John, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant, worship God. You can see that in Revelations 19.10 if you want. Listen, angels will not accept worship because it is not appropriate for them. Great men of God... Do not accept worship. And if Jesus was only a great man of God, he would not have accepted worship, but Jesus did. Why? Because he accepted what was rightly his. Worship. Because he was God. Let's look at just a couple, of, couple three passages. In um, Matthew's Gospel, there's the story that's very familiar to many, maybe uh, all of us are familiar with it. It's the story of Jesus walking on the water. And when Jesus walks on the water, he approaches a boat, a boat that has the 12 apostles in it. And Peter sees him and asks, can I come out on the water too? And Jesus said, come on, Peter. 
And so Peter comes out on the water and begins to walk for a period of time. And then we focus on Peter and the faith that he had to walk and then how he lost his faith and he began to sink. But something took place. Peter began to sink and so Jesus reached down and lifted Peter out of the water and Jesus and Peter got back into the boat. Look what Matthew says in verse 33 of chapter 14. Then the disciples, those who were in the boat, worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Now, if Jesus was truly only a good teacher, he said, no, guys, no, no, don't worship me. Worship God alone. Because Jesus was very familiar with the Old Testament. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 5, it says in the Ten Commandments, you must not bow down to them or worship them. You are to have no other gods but God. And what are the, what are the disciples doing? They're worshiping this man, and he receives the worship. And the reason he receives it is he's God. On Resurrection Sunday, when the women went to the tomb, they found it empty, and they, they run back to tell the disciples uh, because they had encountered angels, and the angels said, he has risen from the dead. And um, as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And when they saw him, they ran to him. They grasped his feet, which means they fell down in front of him to grasp his feet, and, and they worshiped him. That's what Matthew tells us in Matthew 28, 9. Luke tells us in chapter 24, verses 50 to 52, that just as Jesus is leaving the earth and he's ascending into heaven, he's rising and he's uh, received by the clouds, he was lifted up. The group that was there, what did they do? They worshiped him. Why are they worshiping him? Because he's God. Why is he receiving worship? Because he is God. Three reasons. Jesus is God. One, Jesus claimed to be God. Number two, Jesus' followers claimed he was God. And number three, Jesus received worship reserved for God alone. Now, if you're a bit uh, of one who is investigating this stuff, you might say, hey, pastor, all your evidence is from the Bible. I mean, so it's just from the Bible. I mean, that could have been altered or whatever. No, there, there, there's evidence there's other evidence. Unfortunately, I don't have the time or the inclination to spend a great deal of time with that, but there is other evidence out there. And so if you truly would like to spend the time, which I would encourage you if you're skeptical about the claims that Jesus Christ has made, the claims I'm going to be teaching, one, that Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus is the only way. Number three, Jesus is our Savior. And number four, Jesus is victorious over these four weeks. Then I'm going to direct you to two books. The first is called The Case for Christ. It's a journalist's personal investigation of the evidence for Jesus. And this was written by a man by the name of Lee Strobel. This book is a good read, whether you're investigating the claims for Christ or not, because Strobel was an atheist when he began this study. He worked in Chicago. I believe it was the Chicago Tribune. I don't, I don't know if it was, uh, what's the second one? The Chicago Sun, I think. I think he was at the Tribune, but he was an atheist when he began this study, and his wife had started to get religion, is the way he put it. His wife actually came to a relationship with Jesus, so he decided he's going to investigate this stuff, and uh, Strobel was an investigative journalist, 
and tells uh, in the introduction of the book an incredible story of, of how investigative journalism works. And so he took his skills as an investigative journalist and he decided he's going to go and look at the evidence for this Jesus guy that his wife is now talking about all the time. And the conclusion that he came to was different than one he expected because what happened was he found evidence for everything that Jesus said he was. The second is the book of their evidence that demands a verdict. This book has been out for a long time. It was written by Josh McDowell. It has been updated. There's a revised and updated version uh, that has been updated with his son, Sean McDowell. So evidence that demands a verdict. Both of these are in your note sheet so that you can um, go and buy them. They're available on any of uh, formats, electronic formats, and they're actually still available in physical books. You can have a book if you like to hold one like Sherry does. She really does not like to read on electronic devices, but so you can do that. I'm going to pull this around just for a couple of minutes here. Why should I even care whether Jesus is a God or not? Why should I care? Why should I believe this? If Jesus wasn't God, then salvation would not be possible. God loved you so much that God became a man. He became Jesus and chose to die for you. John 3, 16 and 17 says this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Please understand and we'll develop this more in the next couple of weeks. Jesus, that word who existed with God from the beginning, Jesus, the word that the Bible tells us became flesh, and the old translations say dwelt among us. Newer translations say lived among us. Uh, the message version says, and the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That man, God in flesh, a perfect man, came with the purpose of looking at you, looking at you, looking at me, looking at you, and saying, I'm coming because I love mankind. And mankind is in a mess. They cannot get out of the sin that they're in. The wages of sin is death. And so I am choosing, God chose, to take our place and to die for our sins. And if Jesus wasn't God, if he was only a human being, a sinful human being, maybe he was a great man, his blood could not do what Jesus' blood has done. Saved us and cleansed us. Oh, it's very important, very important, that Jesus, the sinless Son of God, who lived a sinless life and then offered his sinless life and his human body as a sacrifice for us, makes our salvation possible. That's why it's important that Jesus is God. And if you believe that, what should you do? Well, personally, if you're already a fully devoted follower of Jesus, believing that he is God who came in the flesh to die for us, I think part of our response should be worship, praise, thanksgiving, 
and appreciation of the love he has for you. Because Jesus in a human body was as fully human as he was fully God. And so he felt everything when we were here. The brutality of the crucifixion, all that he went through, he felt every bit of that pain for us. He chose it knowing what it was going to cost. Another place in Scripture says that Jesus is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. The Father and the Son had already worked all of this out from the beginning. The Bible says at the fullness of time Jesus came. At the exact right time that the world needed him, he was here and he suffered. He didn't use his divinity to remove the pain. He suffered every single um, uh, beating with with the stick. He felt it all. He felt the nails. And he literally died. But of course, he didn't stay in the grave. But we'll talk about that on the fourth week. So if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus, worship, praise, thanksgiving, and appreciation for the love he has for you is a proper response to knowing that Jesus is God. For me, there's one other response, and that is just plain old wonder. That is plain old wonder. Oh my goodness. God would do this for me, causes me to wonder. Now, if you may be still investigating the claims of Jesus and Christianity, I want you to continue to investigate fully. Don't just, um, don't just pass this off. But I want to ask you a question. In the building, and I want to ask you at home. If you're still investigating the claims of Christianity, do you really want to know? You know, some people say, well, I'm investigating the claims of Christianity, but really they don't want to know. They don't want to go through. Do you really want to know? Here's what I believe. Here's what I know. If you really want to know, God will help you to know. He's looking for those that are going to seek him. Do you really want to know? I found a statement that Lee Strobel made in his book, the... um, case for Christ, in his introduction to be very interesting as to why he never really investigated the claims of Christ early on in his life, but did later. It's coming up on the screen. As for Jesus, and this is him now speaking how, what his thought pattern was like before he started this in-depth investigation. He says, as for Jesus, didn't you know that he never claimed to be God? He was a revolutionary, a sage, an iconoclastic Jew, but God? No, that thought never occurred to him. I could point you to plenty of university professors who said so, and certainly they can be trusted, couldn't they? Let's face it, even a cursory examination of the evidence demonstrates convincingly that Jesus had only been a human being just like you and me, although with unusual gifts of kindness and wisdom. But that's all I had ever really given the evidence, a cursory look. I had read just enough philosophy and history to find support for my skepticism. I had a strong motivation to ignore them. Listen to what he says. I had a strong motivation to ignore them, a self-serving and immoral lifestyle that I would be compelled to abandon if I were ever to change my views and become a 
follower of Jesus. I think that was very interesting that Strobel, even before he found Christ, realized that if he was to investigate and if he was to find out the truth, it was going to require life change. And I don't know about you, but I've met people that that's one of the reasons they don't want to believe in Jesus is because if they chose to believe in Jesus, if they chose to investigate and begin to accept and ask God to reveal himself to them, they know their life would have to change and they don't want to change their life. It's unfortunate, but it's a reality. So I ask you again, if you are investigating Christianity, if you are investigating Jesus, if you're trying to see if you really want to reconnect with church, maybe you've been hurt in church in the past. Listen, we're, we're humans. Churches hurt people. People hurt churches. It all goes on. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ was God. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ came to die for you. And if you're going to use the church as an excuse, are you sure that it's a reason or is it an excuse because you don't want to have to deal with the reality of what Jesus Christ asks of you and who he is. I hope that's not the case. I've been hurt by churches. I've been hurt by people in church, in pastoral ministry and before I was a pastor. But I still hung on to Jesus. You know, you might say, Pastor, do you really believe this? <laughs> do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you really believe it? I do. I really do. So you studied all the evidence. I've studied enough of it, but that's not the primary reason I believe. I'm going to give you a really interesting reason. You may find it an interesting. Maybe, again, if you're a skeptic, you may find this reason interesting. But this reason became very apparent to me shortly after I had a personal encounter with Jesus in my early 20s. I was attending a church. It was a good church. I had gone from a mainline church where I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, wasn't taught about the need for one, found the Lord Jesus, and now moved to another church. And I was introduced to a song. Now, you older folks here, you're going to know what I'm talking about, this song. It was sung every Easter, but we sang it at other times. And um, the line in the song that really got into my heart was this. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. You ask me why I believe. Why do I believe that Jesus is God? Why do I believe he's the only way? Why do I believe he's a sacrifice? Why do I believe he's victorious? Because when he came to live within my heart, my life was transformed. Some things in an instant, but most of it has been a progression. But Jesus touched me in a way that I cannot deny. You ask me how I know he lives. You ask me why I believe he lives within my heart. And I will be honest, there are many who have written about these themes from a secular or from an atheistic standpoint that still do not believe and the fact that I believe because Jesus lives in my heart might not convince them, but God still loves them, God still loves you. Do you really want to know? Lee Strobel really wanted to know. And he went from being an atheist to one who was investigating to one who gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and he has followed and served him the rest of his life. You ask me how I know? He lives within my heart. 
As the team comes to the platform, would you bow your heads today? Lord Jesus, it has been my desire in this message and in the remaining weeks of this series that we would once again have our hearts stirred with the reality of who Jesus really is. Father, the video that we saw talked about so many of his wonderful attributes, but these four are critical. And Lord, I just pray for the one who is watching today, either live or is watching on demand, who is wondering, who is asking, who is seeking. I pray that they would take the time to fully investigate that they would ask and they would seek to know. In fact, if that's you here this morning, either here in the building or at home, I want you to pray a prayer to yourself. If you are seeking the reality and the truth of who Jesus is, what he did, just pray this prayer. Jesus, I want to know. Show me who you really are. Lord, you heard those prayers whispered or spoken only in our minds. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to answer powerfully that prayer for those that are seeking. And Lord, for those of us who are already in your kingdom and followers, I pray in Jesus' name, that this truth, stirring in our hearts again, would also stir worship, praise, thanksgiving, and appreciation for you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.